welcome and welcome to Kerry who's going to uh, take us through um, a journey. I'm not sure what sort of a journey yet, but uh, I'm sure we'll go out a little bit more wise than we came in. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. For those of you who don't know me, and that's probably all of you because I'm from South Australia, <laughs> uh, my name is Kerry Jay, um, and I'm with the Australian Institute of Social Relations. Um, we're in sort of um, a unique position at the Institute because um, we're an RTO that's owned by an organization that, um, puts, uh, that delivers services. So we are sort of a marriage of, of industry and RTO. Um, but before we get started um, on the journey we're going to take today, um, I'd like to acknowledge that we're meeting here today in the traditional lands um, of the Gadigal people um, of the Eora Nation. And, and that we acknowledge and um, respect their ties to the land, past and present. So um, I think that's Im important to do because um, that is part of um, that's part of the Australian culture, and um, it's part of our journey as um, as a country. So um, I'm here today, hoping we'll, we're all going to um, um, take part and share a little bit about um, the journey we're on. Um, together, and those who do share get bribed with toys. Um, now, this, this journey that I'm talking about, um, it's not about journeys that we'd rather forget, um, such as <laughs> this poor woman. <laughs> and it's not about technology, although technology plays a part. And pardon me, but I'm going to sit down. I have jelly legs from the workout I did this morning on that stair stepper. <laughs> Um, for me, it's about um, the journey that never ends, really, um, which is um, how can we deliver um, good learning outcomes, how can we ensure that um, our staff and trainers are along for the ride, and how can we be certain as individual practitioners that we're doing the best that we can to deliver um, quality education. Um, I'd like to uh, share with you what our um, pictogram logo means, um, because when I first joined the organization, um, they let us in on what all these images mean, and it, so, it underlies everything that we do, and I think it's really powerful that a corporate culture should be embodied in a logo. So um, just wanted to show you this. The hand is about diversity. Um, it is um, a white hand um, in, a, in a brown hand. The heart's about respect. The figures holding hands are about belonging, and the line that runs through all of that is learning. So I thought that was a really powerful message to share with new employees about um, who we are. So I'll start with the background of where we're at right now, and then take you through where, um, what we're looking at doing, um, and who we're taking along for the trip, and what we're going to pack for the journey. So where we started. Um, our institute is owned by Relationships Australia, South Australia. Um, they've been providing counseling services um, for the past 60 years um, as co both COPE and Relationships Australia. And uh, the, this is a shot of the website, and the buttons there give you an idea of um, some of the breadth of services we offer, family and relationships, separation, mental health. Um, RASA, as we call it, um, provides screening for domestic violence, child-focused practice and children's issues, homelessness, financial counseling, programs to serve culturally and linguistically diverse populations, HIV education and services. Um, we service 25,000 people across South Australia. 
um, clients that is, and we have offices. We have a, uh, three offices in Adelaide. Um, two of those offices um, offer counseling, well, four of those offices offer um, counseling services, and then we have offices in regional areas as well. And the RTO is situated in Adelaide, and the RTO um, offers um, training in um, a range of community services qualifications. Now, how the Institute got into e-learning was the Attorney, uh, Attorney General's Department tapped them in um, 2008. Um, they had three new competencies um, for family dispute resolution practitioners, and they needed the training done quickly. And this was the very first <laughs> website. Now, it was very text-heavy, very content-focused. Um, it got the job done, um, but uh, they knew that they, you know, that wasn't necessarily good practice. So where they're at at, this point, uh, at the point I joined them, which is about six months ago, is they had years of experience delivering face-to-face -face training. Um, they've been an RTO for about 11 years. And so they did things like um, discussions, workshopping ideas, presentations, both individual and panel. Um, and they, they were very focused on um, setting up scenarios where they could do workplace assessment and setting up workplaces where assessment could happen. When they moved online, um, they, they went beyond the initial text, but, um, and they've really uh, prided themselves on trying to deliver quality content. But content was really their focus. Um, they use some, um, how many of you use Moodle? I should probably not make that. So, all right. For those of you who don't know what Moodle is, Moodle's a platform that allows you to um, create multiple um, courses online in one particular Moodle site. And it has, um, has some tools that, you can, uh, that are built into the system. Um, on one hand, you can add um, multiple different types of resources. On other hand, you can create quizzes, forums, live chat rooms, wikis, databases, glossaries. Um, was actually um, created by um, an Australian named Martin Dogiamas as part of his um, PhD work into social constructivist education. And today Moodle is, I believe, the largest open source um, education research project in the world. So um, it has some really great tools, but of course, as with any tool, it, it all comes down to how you use it. So together, that blended approach gives them interactive discussions and timely assessment and quality resources and presentations. Um, and here's some of the reaction we get from students on what they get. Um, it's you know, a lot of great positive stuff coming out of that. Students are saying that they feel it, it really applies to what they need to learn. Um, they're getting a lot out of it. So why would we go any further? Here's a quote from a 2003 Educause report that I thought um, really interesting. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm asking myself today in, uh, in 2011, um, are there really any disciplines that aren't associated with lifelong learning anymore? Um, you know, the world, you know, just technology is changing rapidly, but professions and sectors are changing rapidly as well. Um, and when you think about um, all of that aside, um, when you think about mastery, I don't know how many of you have read Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers have heard of it, but if you buy into the theory that it takes about 10,000 hours of um, practice and, and work to become great at something, um, that's going to take you, uh, that's going to take part of your life anyway. <laughs> um, here's an infographic for you because infographics are the new black. Um, this represents the percentage of um, vet learners um, 
who say they use a computer at home or work or both, and that is 99%. I don't know what the blue guy does, but 99% <laughs> of VETI learners are saying that um, technology is, is part of their lives. Um, so, so they're using technology, um, and so what's their world look like, and what are we preparing them for? Well, first of all, um, because we're in that unique position of being both um, a service provider uh, or an RTO owned by a service provider, we, 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 we're getting an idea of which way the wind's blowing. And for us, a big issue is keeping our funding. And that means keeping good records. And we have moved um, our client record keeping um, from paper-based um, into um, a CRM, Client Relationship Management System. And this allows us, obviously, to deal with issues like compliance. It allows us to um, you know, keep qualitative figures as well as quantitative figures and retain our funding. So we cannot afford to hire a counselor who says that they refuse to use a computer because they're going to end up costing us. And any good that they would do for clients is going to be outweighed by the fact they're going to cost us funding that will allow us to do things for clients. So. It's an imperative that, at minimum, um, the counselors that we hire now need to know how to use one of these systems. And that's going, to, that's going to increase in the sector as more and more people have to go to this sort of record keeping. Here's another reason. This is a, a photo of a high school class in Israel. Um, but um, according to Inspire Australia, if this were a photo of an Australian Year 12 classroom, one of these kids would have made a serious attempt at suicide. Um, suicide, um, according to the Inspire Foundation, is the leading cause of death of young people between the ages of 15 and 34 in Australia right now. And it's estimated that 70% of the kids who need help don't seek it. However, 95% of these kids are on the internet. So it just makes sense, doesn't it, to start moving counseling and services and resources online for them. ReachOut.com is run by the Inspire Foundation and includes things like interactive forums and chat rooms, resources, and they also try to go where the young people are at. So if you are a counselor wanting to reach young people, you can't say that you're not technically savvy. You can't say you don't go online, you don't want to know about these tools. You have to know about these tools if you want to reach that 70% of young people that need help. And it's not just young people that are going online, you know, either. I mean, this is a, a counseling service um, called The Couple Connection. And this is a website where um, people can log in, they can participate in discussions, they can get resources and information. And um, it has a separate section just for men, where men can either just talk to other men or there's actually a sort of a private password-protected blog that they can write to have a private journal where um, safe from prying eyes <laughs> and password-protected. Um, of course, it doesn't stop with websites. Um, counseling is being done um, online um, via VoIP, um, Voice over Internet Protocol, video counseling, in, and in virtual worlds as well. Want to quit smoking? Um, you can sign up for an SMS message service. Um, this has run, um, been running in the UK. It started in about 2007. Uh, the Cancer Council in Victoria ran this quite successfully. And um, 
the quit, um, quit branch of the Cancer Council in South Australia is running this as well. You sign up, you get an SMS message via phone to help you deal with an addiction. And if you've got depression, there's an app for that. Or 10. So taking this all in mind, our sector um, in the, the counseling services sector is changing incredibly quickly and technology is coming up. So now, I'm sick of hearing my own voice. I want to pass the mic around and ask you, um, is technology changing what you have to prepare your learners for? Who wants to grab the, t the message stick? <laughs> I don't know if I need a message stick, but I, you This know, is to record it for <laughs> Stefan. Oh, yes, um, I'm uh, working in the disability sector and uh, I am charged with looking after um, the learning and progressing our carers, especially in the rural areas, to improve, uh, imp improve on their skills, the knowledge, and um, overall, you know, have a good standard of carer out there in the field. And so I know I have to um, look at the e-learning side of things, and, and I'm very new at it. I've been uh, providing content for e-learning or I've used some e-learning in my own uh, learning. But um, when I'm now sort of on the other end of it, I've got to do something <laughs> about it. I'm stuck. <laughs> What's and the best e-learning experience you've had so uh, far? None of it. I just... Oh, that's <laughs> well, the actually, feedback. Well, it, it's... I'd, I'd, when I was working with the Children's Hospital at Westmead, we had an e-learning uh, for our fire evacuation, the theory side of things. So it was just get through it, answer the questions, uh, and uh, you know, tick and flick and get, just get rid of it. It was uh, something we had to do. And uh, I did a medical um, technology, uh, med no, terminology, and that was an e-learning platform. And, and I found that was good with voice um, uh, portions of it. Because when you're getting the, hearing the, the words sounded out properly, then it made sense. And so I'm just looking and writing notes that I need to podcast a bit more or, or have a lot of voice uh, uh, things in our e-learning because we do have a literacy challenge with our carers. We do have quite a large population uh, in, uh, in our carers that are um, from a cold background. So, uh, and I don't know necessarily their literacy level. So I'm, you know, I'm already sort of filled, my head's filled with all the things I have to put in it, but where do I start? That's why I'm here. I, Excellent. It was the title of your, your, <laughs> your work group that I thought, well, they started somewhere. What did yeah. they do? <laughs> no worries. I'll cover that. And then this so afternoon, you might want to start. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Stefan will be having a workshop this afternoon. I think it would be really good for you to attend. It's about uh, e-learning strategies. And we'll cover a, bit, I'll cover a bit more in a few minutes about what we're doing. But I'll throw that out to the floor. Um, um, how many of you, uh, anybody there that could um, jump in and talk a little bit about um, how to, how to get started in planning e-learning for culturally and linguistically diverse people that might have literacy issues. Sorry, I, I attached to the beginning of that sentence. I didn't wait That's all right. I'm Kath Rutledge. We're from Hunter New England Health. Um, 
We've actually just won an Australian Council of Health Service Quality Award for our Moodle. And Congratulations. Whilst, thank you. Whilst that sounds very exciting and worth <laughs> congratulating, what I would say is plan. <laughs> Start with a plan. Because what we've found is the momentum has built to such a degree whilst the users are currently happy, the back end has the capacity to implode. We have a massive clinical body now keen to deliver online learning. We have 12 lead ECG, we have aged care, we have 21 streams and networks all delivering online, we have carers online. And controlling and managing that is scary. It's phenomenal. So I would definitely say start with our plan. Yeah. I don't know how to start with a plan. We didn't. We just basically grabbed Moodle, thought it was a great idea, built up some momentum. Yeah, so we're now going... And I came along almost to ask, what happens if you're halfway through and then you've got to <laughs> replan? And well, so, that, I'd say that was typical. Yeah. When, if you're, if you're um, you can plan, but if, if you have to be flexible enough to change. If, um, if you start with a plan and you stick to it no matter what and you're not taking into consideration what's actually happening, then it's not much of a plan. Even in businesses, a business plan is only ever a guide and it's regularly reviewed. And in the face of everything that's changing, you've got to be willing to be flexible. There's an element of flexibility, but there's still an element of management because once you give away yeah. a space in Noodle, you give away that space. Sure. What we're now trying to recreate is faculties of practice. So spaces, for example, nursing and midwifery have single look, single feel, single navigation, single themes to all their training packages, whereas we had excited individuals all off building diet monsters. A community of practice is really important, and that's one of the things we're definitely doing um, at the Institute. So, like you were saying, you've got your different um, icons or different departments basically built within your, your uh, web, haven't you? You're saying couples, and then you've got... Yeah, you've got that, 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 that's our service provision branch. And then, um, and then when we do training... We do training around nationally recognized training packages. Yeah. So what we were looking at initially is our sector's changing. What can we do to embed that in our e-learning and using that as an impetus for that? And of course, learners, learners want e-learning. This infographic is the 90% of vet e-learners who said they wanted at least some e-learning in their training mix. And here's what they said, and uh, Melanie covered a couple of these. They're saying by getting e-learning, their confidence in using tech goes up. They can do their current job better. They feel it improved their employment outcomes. And then there's um, a hearty little more than 25% who want a lot of e-learning in the mix. So when I was brought on, they understood they couldn't ignore it anymore. But they did ask this question um, because of the characteristics of our sector. Um, you hear it all the time, don't you? Uh, computers, ah, that's for kids. That's, that's for the young people. Is age a factor? Here's a statement about e-learning. It's an important, flexible option when done well. And here's who said it. E-learning isn't reserved just for young people. It isn't just one person's group. It can be a vital, effective, and necessary tool for just about everybody. We did our own research um, into fam asking family law specialists um, if they wanted e-learning, and 67% felt yes, that um, online training in issues such as risk screening for um, 
the potential for domestic violence in relationships when dealing with separations and divorces. Um, they, they realize that they don't have the time to drop out of their profession and take a, take a week or two off. But of course, it's not, all, it's not all beer and Skittles, is it, when it comes to e-learning, and we talked about that. Um, the, the research has shown that in uh, over a 12-month period, the number of vet practitioners that thought e-learning was effective dropped by 10%. So what's going on? Well, I think the answer is in this word here. It's about shortcuts. And um, to illustrate that, um, I don't know how many of you have seen this, the Gartner hype cycle. But it talks about what happens when a technology first hits big. So when a technology first hits, everybody gets really excited about it. It's going to change the world, right? And you get some early adopters that do some amazing stuff. But they do the hard yards. So they're writing into it. They're, they're thinking about you know, the underlying theor educational theories that are going to work with this. They're thinking about what works with their learners, what isn't. And they release results. And everybody goes, wow, we've got to do this thing called e-learning. But we don't have much of a budget, and the IT guys don't like it when we let too many things in, and you know, our trainers have their way of doing things, so we're just going to do it our way. And what happens? <laughs> they don't get the results that these guys get, and what do they do? They say, e-learning, it doesn't work. Well, no. <laughs> it doesn't work when you cut corners. So what happens um, in any technology life cycle is people start getting real. Um, some people drop out and say, nah, this, this doesn't work. It's not for me. But other people say, you know, hang on. What did we miss? So they go back. They start looking at what good practice is. Because I don't believe in best practice. That indicates there's a cookie-cutter approach. And it's a cop-out. So they start looking at good practice. What works with people that they have? What are their people really like? What can we do better? And they start climbing back up onto a level where they're making the tool work for them. So that's what we're keeping in mind as we plan um, our e-learning journey and start moving on from um, you know, the text and the quizzes and discussion forums and start looking at what else we could do to really engage learners. So here's our trip plan. I'm going to start with the business goals and then move into what we feel we need to improve, talk about a little bit about the characteristics of our learners, and then ask you, um, where your learners are at and where, what you're thinking this year. So here's our plans for 2012. Uh, my manager has told me we've, we've got a couple of full um, qualification courses online. We want to get two more online. We want to get two recognition courses online and community spaces. And by that I mean Moodle has the capability to just be used for discussion and resource sharing. You don't have to run a full course with it. So you can, you can set up um, an, an online space where people can share resources and, and have discussion forums and that sort of thing. And for some of the volunteer activities um, that Relationships Australia SA does, that's going to be a really good use of Moodle for them. Um, so that's, those are our business sorts of goals. And here's some of the things we Before feel... Before you move on there, we sure. share resources. Like why don't you, you... You can upload documents, you can... Um, provide links to videos, you can upload images, all those sorts of and things. Who's they? Uh, you can have students do it, um, uh, you can do it, um, you can have um, members of a group or an organization can share documents and collaborate on it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, we're looking outside of Moodle for that stuff, too, and I'll discuss that in a, in a few minutes. So here's what we want to do. We want to increase um, interactions where people can actually talk to other people and connect to other people, because that's really important in keeping adult learners motivated, especially when you're talking a course that can last a year or two. It gets really lonely out there. And um, one of the technologies we're using, we're using webinar software from Microsoft, which, okay, it's not my first choice, but <laughs> that's what the IT manager wants me to use. It's called Microsoft Link, and it's an enterprise-wide solution because we want to encourage collaboration between people within our organization as well as with our students. And I'm running a trial um, this week with learners, as a matter of fact, um, having them take their final project and um, present online using Microsoft Link. So I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> um, we want to explore more um, Moodle's um, tools. Um, to date, our people have only used a few of the tools in Moodle, and some of that is because um, in the current version of Moodle we have, some of the stuff just doesn't work very well. It's an open source thing. Um, things like wikis are painful in Moodle 1.9. And I see Allison nodding back there, yes. <laughs> We're moving up to Moodle 2.1 in January. And they have made, they've made enough improvements that um, I think it's going to do well for us. And we're also focusing on lifelong learning skills, um, both for our trainers and our learners. So we're looking at breaking activities out of Moodle. Because one problem I have with Moodle, because um, I'm a learner in Moodle as well as um, running one, is um, we were asked to pull together all these resources around topics. When I finished the course, I didn't have access to that anymore. So we're exploring um, tools, a social bookmarking tool called Digo. And that allows you to, um, it has a little plug-in you can add to your browser. And because you can add it as a favorite bookmark in Internet Explorer, you don't have to talk the IT guys around into getting it installed. Um, you can just drag and drop it. What that allows you to do is if you see a fantastic website, you can grab it and you can add it to an online library that you can then share with others. And you can create a group where you can have conversations about those resources. And there are lots of other sexy things that Digo does I won't go into today, but really worth exploring, exploring is D-I-I-G-O. And I think that's important because that's part of taking um, our trainers along for the ride as well. And we're looking at exploring new tools. So I'm encouraging, what I'm, what I'm putting together right now as part of our planning process is um, basically sort of a case study document, getting people to think about the purpose of their, their course. Um, because training is all about solving a problem, isn't it? So think about first, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Then ask, how's e-learning going to help solve that problem? You know, and is it viable based on who you're taking along for the ride? And after, once you have a clear sense of that, then when you go out and explore new tools, you're not just grabbing on pretty shiny things. If you have that purpose statement in mind and who you're trying to serve, then you can think about, okay, this new tool, that looks rather groovy, but I don't think it's going to necessarily work for my people. Where, or you can go, this one's going to work. This is going to be a good fit. And I want to encourage people to explore those new tools because I don't want people to think of e-learning and Moodle as being synonymous because they're not. Any more than I want people to think of document creation as only ever being Microsoft Word. We're also looking at something called W3C Accessibility. Um, how many of you know what that is? Okay. What that is, is it, it's about making information on the Internet accessible to as many people as possible. And by as many people, we're talking people with physical um, impairments, 
cognitive disabilities, and people who, are using, who use smartphones and smaller screen things and people who have not so groovy internet connections. And one, there are two reasons we're looking at that. One of them is going back to our logo. We're all about inclusiveness. We want to include as many people as possible because we recognize that in this country there are a lot of problems with the mental health system. And one of them is lack of people. And I'll show you that in a minute. So we want to ensure that as many people as possible can learn from our resources and can get online, get qualifications if they want. If not, if there are a couple just trying to make their relationship better, we want to ensure they can get those resources as well. The second reason is the Australian government and, the, and all the state governments are committing to certain levels of W3 accessibility on websites. So what does this entail, do you ask? It entails little changes in the way you publish content. Things like if you publish a photo, making sure that there's something called uh, an alt tag on it so that people that don't have photos turned on or people who are visible, uh, have vision impairments can, can hear it when the screen's being read out to them. It means telling people where your links are going. Um, there are title tags for links as well where you can, if you're providing this super long government link, you can say this links to the Department of such and such's website and it'll open a new window, by the way. Um, and there, it's about providing live captioning for videos. So not just a transcript, but live captioning as the video goes along. Now, there are different levels of accessibility. Um, and I strongly encourage you to um, look up W3 accessibility and have an explore of it, because it could affect um, people who are getting government funding in future. So it's something we have to look at both uh, from a moral standpoint and as a business all right, so we're, we're getting close. All right, so I'm going to have to speed through this. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the people we're taking along for the ride. And in, um, in our sector, we have an aging workforce. A third of them are over the age of 50. And most of them um, have not been in any community services sector. Um, they're just brand new to it. They've had five years or less experience. So it's not surprising that 50% of them say they need skills. We also deal with legal professionals in the family courts. And here are our trainers. Um, they've got a mixed bag of IT skills. Um, their age range is 30 to 60. They're reasonably experienced trainers, um, and some, but some of them are subject matter experts moving into training, and others um, don't have um, the IT skills that they'd like but at least they're willing to learn. So they're a great bunch to work with. I feel very spoiled. So what are we packing? Well, first of all, um, the hardest thing to do, apparently, according to neuroscience, is change your mind. And Well, actually, the second hardest thing to do is to change your mind. The first hardest thing to do is to change other people's minds. And so one of the first things we're packing is a scarf. And that stands, that is a, a model of brain-based behavior that deals with status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. And interestingly enough, um, attack on status, um, if, if, if somebody is feeling less than what they are in relation to everyone else, the brain lights up in the same way and at the same intensity as an attack on their life. That's how important it is to people. Autonomy, I mean, teachers are used to being, um, you know, they're in their domain. Their classroom's their domain. They're, they be the boss. <laughs> so learning how to deal with that and keeping people um, 
engaged so that there is that sense of fairness. So what we're doing for our trainers is I'm making sure that everything I do is a part of a consultative process. I want their input. I want their advice. I share research. As I, as I, as I get to it, I share it in that Digo group, and I'll send, it, I'll send it by email as well for the people I'm pretty sure are checking their Digo regularly when I think it's important. We've got an ongoing community of practice, and we have a lot of face time. I make sure I have office hours um, because I work over in another building. I go over there, and I have at least two to three hours once a fortnight over there, and, uh, but also make myself available anytime. I tell them to book me like a resource, and I'll come over if they've got any questions. I'm in the process of creating job aids and guides, and these are uh, basically little one-pages that people could look at on the topics like W3 accessibility, on Creative Commons licensing. And um, I'm also trying to train, put together um, a process by which they plan courses, where they ask those questions I talked about, get to that um, focus, that mission statement. And then when it comes to course planning, the first thing I'm telling them to focus on is what's the assessment? What are the learning activities? Stuff your 20 years worth of content. Wait for that. Let's talk about what they're going to do online first. Because one thing I want to get them out of the mindset of is e-learning is not the poor stepbrother of face-to-face -face learning. There are some things you can actually do online you can't do in a face-to-face -face environment. They're complementary at minimum. So we're trying to keep those in mind. And we're trying to keep it in mind for learners as well. Because for learners um, over the age of 45, there is one tremendous barrier to succeeding in e-learning and using technology. And here it is. The little engine that could from our childhood was actually right. If you think you can't do something, you can't. So helping people overcome that. How do you do it? You identify the skills they require to do a particular task online up front. Tell them what the skills are. Build a better induction. So one thing we've done is we've got a centralized course that all students have access to. And we started off just talking about the things they might have to do in their Moodle course. You might have to upload an assignment. Practice it here first. You're going to have to take a quiz. Here's how to do it. Take this practice quiz. Make sure you understand it so your palms aren't sweaty on the day. But we also realized they needed help with other stuff. So we're including information like study skills for adult learners. And next, next year, we're talking about offering free face-to-face -face and online webinars about learning online. And at the end of a course, we're going um, we're, we're to trial um, a course on building a professional learning network so that they have that continuous support once they've finished formal studies. And I'm running fast out of time. I just wanted to touch on this point quickly. This is another area we're looking at, um, universal learning design. This means that if you provide a video, you provide um, you know, not only the closed captioning, but provide the text. Some people don't like video. Some people don't have video cards in their, or uh, audio cards in their computers at work that are enabled in, in our sector. So some people, and I hate to say visual learners versus you know, people who like to read, but because I think we all can learn in those ways, but I think we all have our preferences. At least that's what I'm learning through the studies I'm doing of, of neuroscience and education, um, that brains light up um, in the same areas but to different intensities. So an individual's brain is as unique as their thumbprint in terms of how it reacts 
to the resources you provide. And then you have, um, you have situations like this lady has where you're not sure of the literacies of your people. You're not, you're not necessarily sure if English is their first language. They might need to read through something several times, but if you provide audio, maybe they'll pick up the audio first. And maybe when it comes to submitting an assignment, they're not great, tech, they're not great with text, but they'd be really good at recording some audio and getting it up there. Or they might use video to give you um, proof that they've done something or know something. So that's what we're packing for our journey, and that's what's feeding into our planning. We're still um, we're getting our final plans into place and um, hope to have them up and running um, in the early part of 2012. And um, I want to leave you with, what, um, before I leave you with that, I wanted to leave you with this. Here are a few, um, a few good books that I'm looking at this year. Um, Flexible Learning Framework has a great one on planning called Practices That Sustain E-Learning Solutions. And I would highly recommend that. They have it available as an interactive PDF or you can download it and work through it. Oh, great. If it's out there, grab it. This is a fantastic resource for planning e-learning. Um, this is the book on neuroscience that actually I've been listening to via Audible, Your Brain at Work by David Rock. Fascinating read. He takes neuroscience and how brains work it makes it really understandable. And I've also found this book um, really, really useful, um, A Guide to Authentic E-Learning. It has some great planning tools in there, um, as well as um, information on um, learning theory, and, but learning theory in terms of um, how it's practically applied. Where was that authentic, uh, that one, the Guide to Authentic Learning? Is that by? It is by Jan Harrington. Thomas C. Reeves, and Ron Oliver, Australians. We got a lot of smarts in this country. All righty, so I'm being wrapped, so I'll leave you with this. There, um, that's the Institute website. Whoop, and that just disconnected some, for some reason. Oh, here we go. That's the Institute website. That's the Raza website. And if you're on Twitter, I'm Carrie J. Com. And my blog is kerryj.com. And I want to invite you now, um, for the people that participated, to come up and choose a toy. And the rest of you can have one as well. What the heck? So we have these little fold-out Frisbees. <laughs> and we have some inflatable balloons. So come on up and take one. And women of a certain age. That's it. So thank you, everyone. Thank you.